the Why Watch That Talk. Well, happy new year, listeners. It is 2019. It is a new you, new us, new everything. And of course, new television. (laughs) (laughs) And old and whatever else. Yes. We're not even throwing out the old and bringing in the new. We're literally bringing in the old in some of these cases. A little bit of new, a holiday special here and there, and a couple, uh, like a mini series that we'll review. But we wanted to say Happy New Year to every one of you. We appreciate you sticking with us over the years or whenever you joined us. Um, I will say that critic i did miss you you were gone for quite some time but you're gonna have to pay for it buddy because the vacation time is going to have to come to an end because we are gonna dive into this tv situation right now right now yeah and see i was about to say i missed you too until you dropped that on me (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i gotta (laughs) yeah but you know what what you were up to some stuff over the holidays you i was were watching some things and i think you're gonna start this off as the reviewer is that what's happening and are we starting with vanity fair (laughs) well uh if you want to (laughs) (laughs) on amazon uh it's a seven part miniseries i believe unless they're gonna have a second season and this does Mm. come to us from the brits so Tell us what's going on. I mean, I feel like I've seen this before. And I, I full disclosure, I did start watching this, but you go ahead and tell us about it. <laughs> you certainly didn't. <laughs> okay, so it's Vanity Fair, and a lot of you are thinking, whoa, is this the book? Yeah. Is this uh, based on that uh, Reese Witherspoon movie that we saw? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say yes and no to all of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and no to all of it. Now, first of all, we've got a very, very strong will. It's during the 1700s, I believe. No, the 1800s. Um, what, 1848 ish something like that. We're in England, of course. And we've got a very, very whip-smart girl who is an orphan, who is actually in a like an all-girls school, boarding school. And her name is Becky Sharp, and she's played by Olivia Cook. Now, Becky Sharp is exactly like her last name. Very sharp, very witty, but she's not your conventional 19th century girl. She is definitely a woman who wants to climb up the social ladder because she's on the very bottom. Mm. Now, she's in this all-girls school, And unfortunately, it doesn't fare well for her. But fortunately, she does have a friend who's going to take her in for the moment to kind of show her London. Hmm. And that friend is Amelia Sedley, played by Claudia Jessie. And she decides to bring good old Becky home with her. Now, what is, who does she meet in the meantime? She meets she meets uh, her friend, Amelia's brother, who is mm. just come back from India. He's well-to-do. He's rich. We know that Claudia is also, she's, in, she's basically almost engaged herself to be married. So these four folks kind of roam around London uh, looking for things to do as young people would, would, you know, did during that time. But we immediately see that Becky Sharp has her eyes set on the cash. Yes, she is a gold digger, digger, digger. 
Mm. <laughs> in the yeah. words of some famous rapper who will be nameless on the show. As we move along, those things didn't pan out with the brother, but Becky has her eyes set on someone else. Why? Because she's made to be a governess for a very rich yet kind of um, backwoods kind of family. And she falls in love with the with one of the sons there, but he's penniless. Now I'm going to fast forward through everything. The whole yeah. show is about Becky not only getting the finances that she needs through a man, and if she doesn't get it through a man, her husband, let's say, she will mm. get it from somewhere else. And she'll do oh. whatever she needs to do to get it without you know, risking some scandal. Mm -hmm. Whereas everybody else is sort of in what we call vanity fair. They're either worried about their social status. They're worried about, um, you know, the way they look. It's all a huge show about people being self-absorbent. And mm -hmm. quite frankly, I found the acting to be as well. <laughs> It, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The acting, the writing, the the whole thing was very self-absorbent. And I love a good period piece. So my, my recommendation to you is, if you're a fan of like those, this is going to sound like shade, but it's not. If you're a fan of of BBC putting out a period piece that's sort of like, we needed to throw this together to get a, a period piece going. <laughs> No, no, throw it together in a sense of let's make this as cool as possible using like modern music, but everybody's in period clothes, but it doesn't quite work. But you don't care because you love to see period clothes and you love to, to, to see that period matched up with this period. Then this is for you. If you're serious about your period pieces, this may not be for you. I found the lead character to be detestable. She does very detestable things. She has no regard for any other character. Now, the actor did the best she could, but it, I just didn't like the lead character. I thought, why am I rooting for you? Why am I watching this? Why am I even still talking about this? I'm sorry, <laughs> Amazon. This was not for me. Wow. I'll tell you this, everybody. Watch out for that dagger that the ref will pull out. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's terrible. I don't mean yeah. to throw any shade those people worked hard and everybody in the crew deserves kudos but as as something that i would want to watch again it's just not my cup of tea but it may be yours listeners yeah i gotta say it was not mine i watched about 20 minutes and that was enough um now moving on something else that you watched yes was the holiday special for Shit's creek now Ooh. that's on pop and that is sch everybody yes it is <laughs> Thank you very much. So tell us what's going on with this crazy family oh. of Shit's Creek. You know what? The funny thing is I've been trying to get the critic to watch Shit's Creek for so long. And yes. he just refused. He's like, it's on my list. I'll get there one day. Listen, you're missing out because Shit's Creek, I'm going to go out here. And put, I'm going to put it out here. It is one of the best comedies on TV right now. It is Ooh. one of, I'm saying, top five. Thank you. Why? Because you have Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Dan Levy, and Ann Murphy returning yet again as the Shits family, who you know from past, <laughs> I can't believe you got me saying this, but now that I know it's just the last name, um, yeah. <laughs> um, this this family, as you know, were they were extremely disgustingly wealthy 
Beverly Hills kind of folks who lost everything, bankruptcy. The only thing they had left was a town called Schitt's Creek that he, that um, the father who's played by Eugene Levy, his name is Johnny, he bought as a joke for his son. Well, now they have to live there in a motel. So fast forward into fourth season, the end of fourth season, we know there is a wedding on the horizon. We know that Annie uh, Murphy, who plays uh, Alexis Rose, is finally going to get wed to Ted, which she was engaged to him at first, and they broke off the engagement, and there was a whole season of them missing their love. And then finally, at the end of season four, it's like, we want to be with you, so or I want to be with you, so there we are. The holiday special, however, is something that we haven't seen on Shit's Creek before. Mm. And that is, we get a flashback. We get a memory of the actual holiday parties that they used to throw back in the day i mean this because we never saw them rich well this flashback shows just the disgusting lavish you know what they spent on these very famous holiday parties and then of course reality comes and the dream is over the flashback is over and there they are in a motel so johnny gets an idea that he wants to throw a christmas party on christmas eve by the way he wants to throw a christmas party in one day and invite people from schitt's creek but the question is is everybody on board with that (laughs) <laughs> you will be surprised at what happens in, on this holiday special, especially if you can't even get Moira to do what she does best, and that's throw a party. For some reason, this holiday, she's not quite feeling it. Meanwhile, Dan Levy, who is vastly in love with his new partner, um, played by Noah, excellently played by Nora Reed Patrick, they're starting to get serious. And this holiday season it starts to become more and more evident that I we think that Patrick really is the guy for David. But David is still struggling to trust. So at the end of the holiday special, we find out just where everybody stands relationship-wise. And we also find out something that makes the show so wonderful and beautiful. We find out what money can do to family and what... Mm good old-fashioned love and care can do to family it's just beautifully played yet again by the folks there on pop this show is if you're not watching it you can catch it up you can catch up on amazon it maybe it might be on netflix not sure but it really is a good balance of straight improv funny hilarious moments and then they'll drop that bomb of of uh, drama on you just enough for you to just want more and more so there it is with that now you've been watching some stuff that i haven't been watching and we've got a series premiere of project blue book it's in its first season history channel about 10 episodes history channel's trying to knock them out i guess yeah uh and it's the 1950s uh, there's an Air Force pilot flying over Fargo, North Dakota. He notices a strange light in the sky, only to discover that it's what we would call a UFO, or so he thinks. And he's under attack. Now, after the incident, the pilot reports this to his superiors, who can see that his plane has clearly sustained damage. But, but, the U.S. government can't allow the public to believe that aliens are real. 
So the Air Force enlists Captain Michael Quinn, played by Michael Malarkey, who was, by the way, Enzo in The Vampire Diaries. So he investigates the pilot's claims. Now, Captain Quinn is an ambitious fellow, so he gladly accepts. However, he must work with Dr. J. Allen Hynek, an astrophysicist who has novel, novel ideas and he's struggling to be taken seriously, of course, by his peers. And by the way, uh, the real case files from the real Project Blue Book, uh, which of course the real Dr. Hynek was involved in, they serve as inspiration for the show. So there's some real oh, basis to it. Gotcha, 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 yes. Yeah, now Dr. Hynek played by uh, Aiden Gillen for all of you Game of Thrones fans, that's Littlefinger. He isn't so sure that the people claiming to have seen what he calls UFOs are incorrect. But Captain Quinn tells him that his job is to explain how the alleged UFO sightings are actually the result of other, more logical and pedestrian means. They don't want to panic people. But will Dr. Hynek do as he's told? Or will he complicate things due to his suspicions? Also, what effect will he and the investigations have on Captain Quinn? And what about the Air Force? Are they on the up and up? Now look, this show is really a mix of two other TV shows. Manhattan, you might be thinking ah, of that. Ah, yes, yes. And The X-Files. Ooh. Like Manhattan, it's a period piece that concerns itself with science, despite being, it's set a decade after Manhattan, but okay, close enough. Also, one of its central characters is a scientist whose ideas are dismissed by the establishment. Now, you may even be thinking about Strange Angel from CBS All Access, same kind of thing. Yes. So if you take that and add in the whole duo investigating unexplained phenomena, that X-Files stuff, the result is this show, and that's not a bad thing. However, as I was watching it, it seemed that this show was more interested in its subject matter than I was. There was no discernible spark, and I just didn't care that much. Even still, I'm willing to watch the next episode, the second one, to make sure. But here's my recommendation. Here it is. If this is your cup of tea, by all means, check it out. Also, since it's set in the 50s, there are some parallels to what's going on in American culture and government today. Oh, so if you, lordy, lordy. Yeah, so if you're interested in seeing that, okay, this might work. But if the nostalgic UFO stuff isn't quite your thing, I'm not sure that this show will change your mind. It's fine, but nowadays that's probably not enough. Gotcha. Now, Netflix has a new show out called Sex Education. Uh, you can binge it straight through. And uh, <laughs> are we going to be educated? Wow. Well, this is what the sex education is about. Okay, there's Otis. Um, he's an awkward teen whose mom is everything he's not. She's a sex therapist. Oh, boy. And while this means that she's a very open person, she's also someone who takes herself seriously. I mean, after all, she's played by Gillian Anderson. <laughs> Speaking of. Speaking of the X-Files, right? Now, this causes all sorts of problems for Otis, both personally and publicly, and both sexually and otherwise. But we find out that he's not the only one with problems because it's time for him to go back to school. And at school, of course, there are the various kinds of uh, stereotypical teenagers that you'd expect. But here are the main ones. Otis's best friend, Eric, is one of just two gay guys at the school. But unfortunately for Eric, he's the not-so-cool one. 
Also, Eric's being terrorized by Adam, who's the son of the school's head teacher and who has his own secrets and insecurities of the sexual variety. Because at the moment, Adam is dating Amy, who's one of a quartet of aloof popular kids, those kids. But Adam and Amy are having problems in the bedroom. Now, of course, Adam, the bully, walks around school like he owns the place and everything's fine. But by a twist of fate, Otis and Adam end up being paired up for a class project, which puts Adam on a crash course toward Otis's mom and her insights. And as a result, certain truths are unearthed about Adam, which opens the door for Otis to advise Adam on how to fix his problems. Yes, Otis is schooling Adam. And that launches this show into unexpected territory. We find out that Otis might have a gift, just like his mom, but this doesn't go unnoticed because Maeve, who's the loner with, you know, multicolored hair, all of that, she has a bad reputation. She witnesses Otis's seeming success with Adam. And Maeve thinks that there's an opportunity for her and Otis to make some money by helping their classmates resolve their sexual insecurities. But does this oddball pair know exactly what's in store for them as a result? And how is all of this gonna play out? Now look, look at here. If watching a show that focuses on the sexual awakenings and insecurities of teens doesn't make you antsy, and if you're fine with explicit content and being grossed out at times, then I think that sex education is worth a try. After all, it, yeah, well, it has style and energy. Also, while there are plenty of predictable moments, there are a few surprises to keep things interesting. Plus, the very first episode is a great introduction to the show, so you'll know whether you should keep watching it afterward. So if you're interested, sex education, it's crafted well enough and entertaining enough to justify an occasional watch. You don't have to binge it, but they do a good job. Gotcha. We'll not be watching it, but Amazon Prime has Inform. Inform. Um, it is, <laughs> no, six yes. episodes, you can binge it. Yeah, so <laughs> there, there's a man and a woman on the tube in London. The woman gets off the train, but she's forgotten something, her phone. The man sees this, grabs the phone, and rushes off the train to give it back to her. Finally, he tracks her down at a nearby coffee shop. The woman's thankful for his help. The man's polite. And then someone starts shooting. Oh, dear. Cut to a courtroom. Standing before a judge is Detective Sergeant Gabe Waters. He's asked about how he knows the assailant. But just as he begins to speak, the title sequence starts. Ooh. And that, everybody, is how you begin a show. I love that. I'm, 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 keep going. Now, after the title disappears, we're taken back a year and introduced to Raza Shar. He's a British Pakistani Muslim who's just an ordinary bloke. That's him. But because of his identity, he's had to learn how to navigate a culture that can be quite hostile. He also dabbles in drugs, Aww. which has unexpectedly tragic consequences for him after a night, a night out with his girlfriend. Really? He winds up in police custody. Ooh. And this takes us back to D.S. Waters, who is a former undercover cop, keep that in mind, with his own issues to contend with. Mm. Now, Waters works for London's Counterterrorism Special Unit, 
and the unit is currently on the hunt for a terrorist named Ahmed El Adua, who pulled off a major attack in Rotterdam and who the unit suspects might be behind a potential attack in London. Now, one of Waters' informants has some potential insight into Eladua, which places the informant's life in danger and connects to Raza in a way that I won't say. Also, Waters has been tasked with training a new colleague, Detective Constable Holly Morton. Now, while DC Morton isn't the type who makes friends easily, she does have some creative ideas about how to cultivate informants, among other things. And she spots, she spots Raza, right, while he's in custody, and decides that Raza might make a good CI. But will Raza agree? And if not, what will that mean for his family, including his younger brother, his father, and his mother? Now, if he does agree, though, what will that mean for him? And overall, how do all of these people relate to one another? and a shooting, and how will all of this show's plot points interconnect to form a whole? Now look, all right now, here's the thing about Informer. It reminds me of the night of... Mm-hmm. Ooh! Now, now, before, yeah, before you get excited though. Now, don't forget, the rest get excited. Hold on though. <laughs> now keep in mind, uh, the night of was based on a British crime drama, okay? It was. Uh, This show touches on immigration, terrorism, religion, race, class, familial bonds, and the like within the crime genre, right? The crime drama genre. So thinking the night of. Plus, it has a main character who's of Pakistani descent and who gets into trouble because of romantic interests, right? Yeah. There we go. However, it's not the same as the night of. It's its own show with a different story to tell. And just so you know, it's not quite as good. Even still, I have to say that from the beginning of the series, I was interested. Now, did I remain as interested throughout? No, but I was interested enough. Also, the pacing is spot on, and the sequencing of how and when the show reveals information is well planned. In addition, the music, spiced with bits of surprising optimism, successfully supports the pacing while at times hinting at the sadness to come. Also, Watching someone be coerced into and groomed as an informant is a nice angle for this show to take. However, the bits about being an undercover cop, that stuff, they aren't as gripping, gotta say. Regardless, you can add Informer to the already long list of British crime dramas that are worth a watch. Ooh, okay. So it it sounds like a companion piece Mm. to the night of... Mm. Yeah, in a okay, way. Okay, let's move on to, yes, let's move on to the last series premiere, and that's Deadly Class, which is on sci-fi. It premieres on the 16th, but you got a chance to take a look at it just a little ahead of time, as of taping, we'll say. And yeah. it's it's sounds like it's only about 10 episodes, so it's not like, you know, committing to 23 episodes. The question is, do we want to commit to the one? <laughs> Well, just so you know, until the 16th, as the ref said, uh, you can watch that first episode via the sci-fi app. So there you go. Now look, in Deadly Class, it's 1987 in San Francisco. Ooh. And we're introduced to no ordinary class and no ordinary high school. The teacher is Lynn, and he's the school's headmaster. And at the moment, he's teaching his students how to think like killers. Oh, yeah. Killers. 
So they better be on their toes because the consequences of disobedience are severe. Now, we, the audience members, aren't the only ones learning the ropes here because there's a new kid in the class whose name is Marcus and his reputation precedes him. You see, the world thinks that Marcus killed all the people in his former group home. And frankly, it's not like he didn't have reasons to do so. First of all, his mother and father were killed by a woman who belonged in a mental institution. Then he was treated abominably by the people in the home he was sent to afterward. And then he was treated in a similar fashion by a fellow homeless man after he escaped the home. Okay. And by the way, all of this, he blames on Ronald Reagan. (laughs) So when Marcus was given the choice to stay on the streets or enroll in this school for assassins, which is called King's Dominion, the choice was obvious. But what did he get himself into? Because here's the thing, having a reputation at King's Dominion is equivalent to having a bounty on your head. And the school, like seemingly all of Yeah, yeah, right. And this school, just like, it seems like every prep school's like this. I mean, just thinking of Sabrina the Teenage Witch recently, it's ruled by cliques, or in this case, they're gangs, uh, that are filled with children of former students who are now wealthy and powerful and deadly. So, since Marcus doesn't fit neatly into any of the gangs, he's half Nicaraguan, half American, and he's an orphan. He's the biggest mark the school has ever seen. But he's this show's lead character, so something must happen to keep him safe in the face of all of these deadly challenges. Ooh. Something must happen to land him in a spot in a gang and keep him alive, right? But in Unless school- it's like Game of Thrones and you just kill him. Right. Well, we'll see. But in a school that's filled with so many different kinds of killers to be, can anyone be trusted like Game of Thrones? I'll tell you this. You better not let your guard down. Now, here we go with the review. Deadly Class. It has the spirit and the style of a show that's based on a comic book, which it is. So it has some flash and attitude. It winks at other works such as The Matrix, various prep school dramas, and even West Side Story. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, and and it knows that it's the coolest kid on the block. I will say uh, that I found the pilot episode entertaining enough to warrant watching the second. Now, did everything connect and was everything supported? No, but it wasn't that big of a deal. However, this show does have one glaring problem. Here we go. Uh Uh-oh. Benjamin Wadsworth, who plays Marcus, just isn't that believable. I don't Uh, buy it. Oh, yeah. Now, he's supposed to be out out of his depth in the show and all, but still, I don't buy it. I don't even buy his voiceovers. And frankly, I'm much more interested in the various classmates that he has to deal with at the school. And I'm certainly much more interested in whatever Benedict Wong is doing as Master Lin. So here's my hope. Mm. I hope that they find a way to ground what Benjamin does as Marcus. He needs some attitude, something like that. Because if that doesn't happen soon, there will be a big old hole in the center of this show that's never filled. Eee, let's move on to season premieres. Yes, these shows are back. This is a highly anticipated season two premiere. Gronish is back on campus, but this time, instead of its tiny little order that they had first round, they've got 20 episodes. And Whoa. as of taping, it's been they've aired three. The first night was uh, two, uh, like 
two episodes in the se- in the premiere, and then they just aired the third one as of taping not too long ago. And so we're all we're both caught up on it. And again, this is on Freeform, and uh, y- uh, Yara, who plays uh, Zoe, is having a very different second year. She's not quite in control. Uh oh. <laughs> and by the way, everyone, if you subscribe to Hulu, you actually get Grownish as well. Just a, a little delay, just so you know. Okay, so Zoe's back at college, as the ref hint, uh, the ref hinted at. She's a sophomore now. Yeah. Yeah. Which means yeah. that everything, everything ref should be in your sophomore year bigger, better, and easier, right? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong because after she returns to Cal U, she finds that things aren't as smooth as she'd like them to be. She and her friends find that they have to struggle with inappropriate living conditions and each other. In addition, it's been three months since Zoe's seen her boyfriend, Luca, who summered in Paris. Yes, and, and remember he, how they got together. That was a fluke with Luke. <laughs> <laughs> and when they finally see each other again face-to-face, it's awkward. Mm. Also, as is common with young people, Zoe and Co. care about how they're perceived and received. And there are rules, both spoken and unspoken, that need to be followed, which can prove challenging. And so season two of this Blackish spinoff continues to focus on Zoe's growing pains as she gets closer and closer to full-on adulthood. And while it ain't terrible, it certainly ain't easy. Well, I, yeah, yeah. it's it's been a good time. I'm having a great time with the show. Now you can go, because that's all I'm going to say. I like it. Yeah, and I I agree. I I will say the first episode, you know, you could tell that they were reintroducing us to the world and all of that. And I, I thought it was too much of focus on that. But look, by the second episode, they really got into the swing of things, continuing on in the third episode here. Uh, the great thing about this show, what keeps me watching and what keeps me from being completely annoyed with these young people <laughs> is that one of its major foundational themes is that growing up has always been hard to do. It's just expressed differently from generation to generation. Yeah, yeah. As long as they keep doing that, and I'm so pleased that they are so far, this is definitely something to watch for a lot of ages. I won't say all, but a lot. I do have one beef. The new Mm -hmm. Dean of Students, which we won't reveal, is the most ridiculous choice ever. I get why they're doing it, but it Mm -hmm. makes absolutely 100% no sense at all. Just... Well, it didn't make sense what he was doing in the first season. (laughs) Well, the first season, he's doing that situation at midnight. But now he's the dean of students. Like, he has another full-time job. So, whatever. You can probably figure out who we're talking about. (laughs) Moving on to not Blackish, but The Blacklist. That's Black, Black, Black on NBC. (laughs) 22 episodes, this one. Uh, James Spader is absolutely deciding not to ever work again in features because he is completely happy doing the show. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's true or not. It probably isn't, but I, I, it, where are we at at this point? I'm, I'm kind of just checked out from like well, this. Uh, hold that thought, okay? Uh, but it has come to this, everybody. It's come to this. At the end of the previous season of the show, FBI Special Agent Lizzie has found out that she has a sister. Oh my gosh, I can't. 
and that the man who has claimed that he's Raymond Red Reddington and her father is a fraud. Yeah, fraud. This fraud has two syllables. Fraud. I can't even. So Lizzie's determined, it seems, to get to the bottom of things and expose the fraudulent Raymond for who he truly is. Wait, so the James, so the actor James Spader is not really Raymond? That's what we think. Oh, I can't even. <laughs> That's the question, right? He's claiming to be Raymond. Maybe he's really not. He, Because the real Raymond was her father, but is he really the Raymond that is her father? Can we squash this? I mean, move on. Now, okay. Sorry. I will come back to those sentiments in a moment. Now, so she's got to get to the bottom of things, we think. And she needs to do that not only for herself, but also for her sister who's kind of egging her on. Now, Raymond seemingly has no idea about Lizzie's machinations, or does he? Also, Raymond thinks that things are looking up for him in his criminal pursuits, which of course can't be a good sign. But as far as he's concerned, he's still helping the FBI capture criminals from the blacklist, and he still does so in a way that serves his best interests. Plus, he's still sharp as a tack, which means that all is well, right? <laughs> so, here's some questions. Who's gonna prevail? Lizzie or Raymond or someone else? And what's the actual truth? Will we ever know? Also, can any of these people be trusted? Plus, what other twists and turns are in store, not only from the inside, but also from the outside? And ultimately, will we care? Mm. Now, as always, the blacklist rests on the shoulders of whom? James Spader. As Reddington, he's so much fun to watch because he's having fun and he knows what he's doing. As a result, everything else here pales in comparison. In fact, at this point, they could skedaddle Lizzie all together and you know what would happen? The show would actually get better, much better. You've been saying this for how many years? <laughs> I, who cares about Lizzie? No offense to, to the, the actress. Yeah, she's amazing, but come on. Look, she's in the way, and the writing for her is dull at best. Now, while they forced her into being an integral part of Raymond's story, she's still just a nuisance. Also, the attempts to connect this show to the current political climate seem unnecessary. The connection is better left unsaid. So if you're going to watch this, it's for Spader when he's present. For me, I'm barely holding on because of him, and I'm not sure how long that's going to last. They should end this show sometime in the near future. Didn't I say this about Blind Spot? Didn't I say this? Mm. And you know what they should do? Do a spinoff called Reddington. Yeah. That be a show worth watching and reviewing. Thank you. Well, you heard it here that uh, the <laughs> critic will be producing that show. <laughs> now let's end this thing. This is the longest episode. Uh, let's end this with, to me, one of Why Watch that's most anticipated returns it's up there with poldark it's up there if they you know decide to bring back rectify (laughs) victoria has wedged her way into our hearts and she is back on pbs with only eight episodes come on yeah now let's do a bit of catch up lassie uh uh-huh Queen Victoria had to deal with the deaths of her dog, 
and her beloved advisor and former Prime Minister, Lord M. We oh, miss him. Lord M. We do miss him. Rufus Sue will come on back in ghost form. Why not? Her, her husband, Prince Albert, had to deal with revelations about his parentage. <laughs> and they both had to deal with their respective political roles, which is always a dicey situation for their marriage in yeah. the face of war, famine, and near-death experiences. In addition, of course, there were plenty of other goings-on, most notably the awful and sad circumstances surrounding Prince Albert's brother, Prince Ernest. Why did they do that to him? I know. And now in season three, it's 1848. Is that Vanity Fair's time? Yeah, it's 1848. And the French people have overthrown their king. So what will that mean for Victoria and Albert? Should Victoria allow King Louis Philippe to flee to England to stay in exile? Come on now. No, he's family after all. Yeah, he is. And how will the events in France affect the people and politicians, especially Foreign Secretary Lord Palmerston, who's new this season, in Britain? Wait till you see him. Now, revolution's in the air, which means that Victoria may not be safe either. Also, her older half-sister, Princess Theodora, has appeared without warning at the palace, and she's in exile too. So what kind of mischief is she going to stir up? Plus, Victoria's and Albert's two oldest kids are starting to have opinions. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Victoria's pregnant yet again. Okay. What's new? <laughs> and there are more babies to come. And as always, you got to ask, can Victoria's and Albert's marriage withstand the constant multifaceted strain? Plus, don't forget about all of the non-royal characters whose plights could fill a show all by themselves. Now, thankfully, the first episode of Victoria's third season maintains the strength of its previous season. You know what? Once this show got its act together toward the latter parts of its first season... I tell you what! mm -hmm, The pacing has been well executed, and the story has managed to focus on what matters, both on the large and on the small scales. They continue to make the queen and prince and the rest of the characters worth watching and the cast is spot on. I'm happy to say that I still care, that I certainly want to see what comes next and that they're doing a good job, a good job of filling PBS's downton-sized hole. So, yeah, if you're looking for that kind of fix and are willing to resist comparing the show to Downton at every turn, then Victoria should definitely be on your watch list. Oh, I love that. That's a perfect place to end. Now, look. Yeah, this was a long, long segment. Why? Because we've been away. Uh Uh-huh. Now we're back. Uh Uh-huh. And so is TV. Uh Uh-huh. So you stay right here with us here at Why Watch That. And we promise you (laughs) that we'll tell you exactly what you should be watching and maybe what to skip. 